Welcome to the Hannah Miller Show. And here she is, Hannah Miller. Outspokenly conservative and unashamedly Christian, this is Hannah Miller, and this is what happened this week. I have one main story to bring to you guys this week, and it shouldn't be a super long episode. We did uh, get a Ask Me Anything question, and I'll answer that at the end of this episode. But the very first thing, really quick, is the State of the Union. Did I watch it? I've got a couple of people ask me this this week, and uh, it just seems to, for people who are really involved in politics, it's always a question that we get asked or people want to talk about with us? And the answer to that is no. (laughs) I did not watch the State of the Union Address. I have not watched the State of the Union Address for quite some time because it is political theater for both sides. Let's be honest. And like I said, I haven't really watched it in in quite some time. Look, (laughs) don't blame a clown for acting like a clown. Ask yourself, why you keep going to the circus. You know they're going to lie about pert near everything, and it's going to make you mad. So why? Why Why do you do this to yourself? Why? Like, I, I knew going in that he's going to stand up there. He's going to tell a lot of lies, a lot of half-truths. He's going to twist a lot of information. He's going to make himself look as good as possible and utilize what ever manipulations of the English language necessary to do so. And that's pretty much what most presidents have done my entire lifetime with the State of the Union. And so it's not really worth my time because I don't want to just sit anywhere and listen to a bunch of lies. I want to know what the truth is. And so I go out and I find the truth I don't care what they're saying. I care what they're doing and what the fruit of what they're doing is. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't watch the State of the Union. I rarely ever have. There's been seasons where I've watched a snippet of it uh, here and there after uh, certain things have happened. But uh, yeah, by and large, no. Uh, The big takeaway from the State of the Union, though, is that we're, $31 trillion in debt and have a president and almost the entire Congress, really, who refuse to even acknowledge the debt and even desire to drive us further into massive spending and crippling debt. That's the that's the big takeaway. And that's nothing new. I didn't have to watch every minute of the State of the Union to know that it was going to be all really a bunch of lies about his accomplishments and then lying about or then telling you all the way he's going to spend our great 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 grandchildren's money. <laughs> uh that you know, that's the whole of it, that's the sum of it. All right. So, next thing, this research paper came out this week. Uh actually, it was what's today? Um it was recently. Let's see. When did I? January 11th. So I, I knew it wasn't uh, this week. It was January 11th in the last month. Exactly. Um, so, and I want to talk about this research paper. It was from Fauci and two of his colleagues, former colleagues, really. So let's jump into that. When Fauci, Trump, and others began to advocate for a COVID-19 vaccine back in 2020, One of the first things I said was that 
Since the beginning of vaccine development, we have been unable to develop an effective vaccine against the common cold or even a consistently effective vaccine against influenza. So my question was, even then, how could we have developed one in a matter of months for a novel coronavirus? Well, on January 11th, a research paper titled Rethinking Next Generation Vaccines for Coronaviruses, Influenza Viruses, and Other Respiratory Viruses, written by Fauci and two of his former colleagues, confessed in this research paper that the vaccines cannot control the pandemic and could not reasonably have been expected to do so. These are their words from their research paper. Quote, Past unsuccessful attempts to elicit solid protection against mucosal respiratory viruses, such as SARS-CoV-2, which causes COVID-19, and to control the deadly outbreaks and pandemics they cause have been a scientific and public health failure that must be urgently addressed, end quote. But why? Why have these vaccines been a public health failure? Because of the nature of these viruses. As Fauci and these other two colleagues of his actually explained within the paper, the viruses, quote, replicate in the human respiratory mucosa without infecting systemically, end quote. And thus, as a result, they do not trigger a full immune system response. And then they continued and said, because these viruses generally do not elicit complete and durable protective immunity by themselves, they have not to date been effectively controlled by licensed or experimental vaccines. End quote. For 66 years, flu vaccines could not control influenza viruses. So why would anyone believe a hastily developed vaccine for a novel virus could in any way be effective short of divine intervention? I mean, it's been almost seven decades they've been trying to find something like this. And they've been ineffective. And they all knew it. Everybody knew that's in this research field, no, and, and really medical doctors at large and nurses know that they we don't have an effective flu or common cold vaccine. They knew that. Indeed, the authors note that, quote, as variant SARS-CoV-2 strains have emerged, Deficiencies in these vaccines reminiscent of influenza vaccines have become apparent. They elicit incomplete and short-lived protection against evolving virus variants that escape population immunity. End quote. And then they also suggest that given the fact that flu viruses and coronaviruses, quote, tend to repeatedly reinfect people over their lifetimes without ever eliciting complete and durable protection, end quote, from the immune system, it is unrealistic to assume that vaccines would provide any better protection. So do you get that? They're acknowledging that, look, the reality is, is that the flu changes every year and we don't get immunity from it. The common cold changes every year. I mean, you get it every year. It doesn't give you, you don't get it one time and then you have immunity from it for the rest of your life. Like some of these other diseases like chicken pox or uh, smallpox or something like that, where they have vaccines for, because they're like, hey, if we can give you a little bit and then you have 
you know, you have immunity for life. They said, look, you, you get the you get the flu and common cold every year because those viruses don't do that. And so it was unrealistic to assume that vaccines would provide a better protection. And then they went on to say that if natural mucosal respiratory virus infections do not elicit complete and long-term protective immunity against reinfection, they asked the question, how can we expect vaccines, especially systemically administered non-replicating vaccines, to do so? When we come back, I'm going to finish up talking about this and, uh, and answer that question. Hey, this is Bob, the producer of this podcast. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know you can always get your questions into us. Ask us anything. Feel free to email me at bob at bobsloan.com, B-O-B at B-O-B-S-L-O-N-E dot com. Or you can always find that information and more in the show notes. Now back to Hannah. So in my opinion... In light of the decades of influenza and coronavirus vaccine failures preceding 2020, Fauci and others in the public health field had to have known back in 2020 the literal impossibility outside of divine intervention of the COVID-19 vaccines actually controlling the pandemic. Nevertheless, as Michael Tennant reminded us in his article about this topic, quote, They happily promulgated lies about the shots, such as claiming that vaccinated individuals have a very high degree of protection against the virus, Fauci said that in July of 2021, and are dead ends for it. Fauci also said that in May 2021. And moreover, they also pushed for vaccine mandates as a means of stopping the spread of COVID-19. And these were Fauci's words, I respect people's freedom, but enough is enough. And of course, we all remember how those mandates all forced a one-size-fits-all solution, air quotes around that, to the pandemic on millions of Americans of all demographics. And what do I mean by that? Like Various ages, both genders, all kinds of risk factors. And we all know that those things had a lot to do. They greatly impacted your vulnerability to COVID. Yet Fauci and company write in their paper that, quote, it is inevitable that various human risk groups may require different vaccines or vaccine formulations, end quote, or one might add, perhaps no vaccines at all. And they finish it up to say, we're excited and invigorated that many investigators and collaborative groups are rethinking from the ground up all of our past assumptions and approaches to preventing important respiratory viral diseases and working to find bold new paths forward, end quote. They are trying to convince you that, and and the public at large, one, that they never said what they said, okay? But if that doesn't work, if they can't convince you that they didn't say what they said, number two, they're trying to convince those who do remember what they said that they have more information now And because of that information, have changed their minds. I know y'all are smarter than that. But when it comes time to hold them accountable, don't let your congressman or woman or your senator believe these lies. This was common sense stuff. And none of the information within this research paper is new. In their own words, they wrote this. 
quote, over the years, influenza vaccines have never been able to elicit durable, protective immunity against seasonal influenza virus strains. Never. None of the stuff in this is new information. And so when they're saying that all of their past assumptions and approaches to preventing these diseases are, you know, that they're putting those aside and they're rethinking all of that. Well, they're not having to put aside past assumptions and approaches to preventing. They knew for 66 years what was going on with coronaviruses and influenza viruses and why these vaccines that they were trying to develop didn't work. It's just really that for about two and a half years, they put that aside and that knowledge aside. That's what they're trying to, those are the past assumptions. That two and a half year blip. And so don't let them gaslight you into believing that, that, well, there's just, there was all this research that we had done after over all of these years and we're just, we're putting that aside and we're working from the ground up. No, they're taking away the last two and a half years and going back to what they've known for 66 years. That's what they're doing. So why did Fauci and company decide the COVID-19 vaccine was the savior we needed to control the pandemic and demand, and consequently the demanded universal mandates. Well, there's a lot of theories floating around out there. I don't know which of those exact theories is correct. Only the Lord knows the heart of man, especially in this situation when we haven't had a due process and investigation. But I will say that none of the options are good. None of the reasons are good for why they would have set aside 60 plus years of research and for two and a half years lied to the entire world about this virus and the vaccines. There's not a good reason for it. Why would you set aside all of those years of research and then try to tell everybody now that we're rethinking Going from the ground up. No, you're just scrapping the last two and a half years because you want everybody to forget what you said you said. That's what it's about. All right, so on to our last segment of today, which is the Ask Me Anything, which is a question from Gene from California. He said he and his wife started listening to me when I was on Tony's radio show. If you didn't know, I used to be on a radio show for a number of years uh, called Christian Worldview with Tony and Hannah. And I co-hosted that show with Tony, and we had a lot of fun doing it. And Gene and his wife were uh, apparently frequent listeners to that show. And it might have even called in some because we had a Gene who would frequently call in. But I don't know last names because we didn't give last names on air. So (laughs) I don't know if it's the same Gene or not. (laughs) But whether or not it is, he did ask me a question. And he asked me a question about my family. Am I the oldest sibling in my group. First of all, Jean and, and your precious wife, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. Thanks for following me over from the radio show. Um, finding me uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. I appreciate that. And uh, thank thank you for y'all's faithfulness. He said they, they've uh, never missed an episode. So thank you for that. <laughs> but am I the oldest in my family? 
actually, I'm not. If, if you don't know, I'm one of nine children. My parents had five girls and four boys, and I am number four. My parents had four girls, and then they had three boys, and then they had another little girl, and then they had another little boy. So nine total, and I am number four. And when it comes to demographics of the family, I'm kind of an interesting mix because out of the total nine, I'm kind of right there in the middle. So I have a lot of middle child personality um, order birth order kind of quirks. But then because I'm the youngest of the oldest group of four, I also have a lot of younger child tendencies, but then I'm a part of the oldest group of the family, um, one of the older children of the family. And so I also have some older child tendencies. So I'm kind of a hodgepodge of all of these, uh, you know, when you when you look at birth order stuff, which can be fun, um, not this always generalizations. But when you look at some of that, I'm, I'm kind of a mix of all three things. And it really kind of depends on which part of the family I'm hanging out with. <laughs> if I'm hanging out with my three older sisters, I'm definitely the baby of the group. I'm goofing off. I'm just having fun. I'm just, you know, I'm along for the ride kind of thing. Um, Mostly because I have an older sister that needs to be in charge. She loves to organize things. She's a very type A personality. And so I'm like, hey, you have at it. I I don't have a need to organize. (laughs) I can, but I don't need to. So you go for it. But then if I'm, you know, around just my younger siblings, then I'm more, you know, more responsible and I'm, you know, taking charge and more of those situations. So it's kind of funny when you're in a large family, how some of that happens. And, you know, you guys probably hear me on the radio show and or have heard me on the radio show or here on my podcast. And you think you might pick up on some of that. Oh, she's, you know, super responsible or she sounds like she's a lot of fun or just whatever. And you, you know, would think, oh, she must be the youngest or she must be the oldest, depending on what you're picking up on. And uh, the reality is, is I'm kind of right in the middle, um, but I'm not probably a, 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 yeah. So anyway, uh, and I've got, I've kind of got a lot of the personality quirks of all three of those birth orders because of where I fall in the, in the family of nine. But anyway, no, overall though, I'm not the oldest. I am number four. And so, uh, it was, and, and I get that question all the time. People ask, what what number are you in the family? And so we get that that question pretty frequently. My sister, who's older than I am, uh, Miriam, is only 19 months older than me. So we grew up pretty close, uh, close in age. We looked very similar. She had blonde hair. I had brown hair. But our facial features are pretty slimmer, similar. Our builds are very similar and uh, facial structure and all that. So anyway, it was a wonderful growing up. I would just could regale you guys with stories all day long about a my family life growing up on the farm with nine siblings. And one of these days I will, I will tell more stories about that. Uh, would love to have more questions. Jean, again, thank you for the question. That just kind of helps enlighten my listeners a little bit about who I am. Um, I am Dr. Robert Jackson and Carlotta Jackson's fourth daughter, one of nine. And uh, anytime, if you guys have any questions about about me, my family, just whatever, feel free. Ask me anything. And there's a button on my website. If you go to thehannamillershow.com, right there on the homepage is a button called Ask Me Anything. And you can hit that and uh, write your question. It'll shoot right to me. Hope you have a great weekend and I'll talk to you next time. 
Thank you for listening to The Hannah Miller Show. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions. If you'd like to find out more about Hannah or to schedule her for a speaking event, go to her website, thehannahmillershow.com.